Well, an activity that uh, my family and I have enjoyed on occasion is canoeing in the Hocking Hills. How many of you have ever uh, done that? Uh, we've always gone to the uh, canoes there by the Old Dutch Restaurant, uh, which is one of my favorite places on the planet, the Old Dutch Restaurant. Um, and so that's that's an activity that we have enjoyed. And, you know, I I say we have enjoyed it, but at times it's sort of been a love-it-hate-it uh, kind of experience. Uh, Michelle and I once were privileged uh, to receive a canoe that had a lopsided bottom to it. And so for the entire five miles of the canoe trip, we had to lean rather far to the right to keep the thing from tipping over to the left. By about the end of mile one of the five miles, I was in serious pain from the constant leaning. And so, for, the, for that particular trip, the most enjoyable part was when I saw the place on the horizon where we could return the canoes. And I was able to go home. Uh, but usually, we've enjoyed uh, canoeing. Sometimes I've noticed, though, uh, that when you're canoeing, like, you imagine it being this really relaxing experience, but what I've found is that you actually have to stay fairly engaged with the canoe if you don't want to drift into areas that you don't want to be. If you just say, I'm going to sit here in the canoe and just enjoy the sun or enjoy the scenery... Uh, before you know it, you're going to have drifted over to the banks of the river where all the overhanging trees and overgrowth reside, which are areas that I prefer to stay away from. I once heard a horrible story of a man canoeing in South Carolina and a rattlesnake dropped from a tree into his canoe and bit him. And I almost hate to bring up the story because of how it ended, he did not survive. And so even though I know that we don't have that many dangerous snakes dropping from trees in Ohio, whenever I stop paddling and we end up under the overhanging trees, that's the story I think of. <laughs> and I'm not that big a fan of wildlife anyway, and so it's sort of an emasculating moment. As I close my eyes and cover my ears and tell Michelle to let me know when we are out of the trees. <laughs> Just joking. I am a little more manly than that. Not a lot, but a little bit. All right. So anyway, you have to stay engaged with your canoe or you're going to drift. Anytime one swims in the ocean, you have to pay attention or you're going to drift. How many of you have had the experience you... You, you leave your, your uh, umbrellas or your tent, or if you didn't prepare well, uh, your blanket where you're just baking in the sun, and you walk out into the ocean and you frolic around for a while, and then you look up and you look back to your stuff and it's not there. You're like, where is my stuff? And you get looking and you realize, oh, it's all the way back there. Am I alone or have you had that experience? How many of you have had that experience. Okay, most of you, yeah. So if you're not careful, you drift uh, from the spot where you enter the ocean. And I found that usually 
uh, when I've drifted like that, it, it takes quite a bit of effort to get back where I started. And, and so without even realizing it, you had just gotten really far uh, from where you were supposed to be. And of course, the ocean can be a very dangerous place. You get out too far, you get too casual about being in, I mean, think of how casual we are about being in the ocean. But if you're too casual about the ocean, you can get caught in the undertow, you can uh, be the victim of a strong tide, and suddenly you can be in a dangerous or even life-threatening situation. And so the point of all of this is that to avoid drifting, whether you're canoeing or whether you're swimming in the ocean, you have to stay alert. You have to stay engaged. You have to exert some effort, some continual effort to make sure that you do not drift away. As we continue today in our study in Hebrews, we're looking at Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and in these verses, the author of Hebrews warns us of the danger of drifting away from Christ and the truth of the gospel. Just like the tide can cause a person to drift from the shore, powerful forces can cause us to drift from the truth of the gospel. And so let's see what the author tells us about this in Hebrews 2, uh, 1 through 4. I think it will be behind me, and let's read it together. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen uh, to the word of God. So it begins, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore. You have probably heard it said that when you're reading the Bible and you come upon a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Yes, that's right. I, th I think I heard all of you getting that correctly. Uh, yeah, you need to ask, what is that there for? And in this case, it refers back to what we uh, saw last week, that while God had spoken to mankind throughout history in various ways, in the last days, he has spoken through his Son. And so because God in Christ came to us and has spoken directly to us, we must pay the most careful attention to what we've heard. It's come from God. It's come from King Jesus. And so we must pay the most careful attention and make sure that we do not drift away from this message that God has brought us in person. The author warns that even though God came to us himself and brought salvation to us, we are at risk of drifting away from Christ and his salvation if we do not pay the most careful attention. Notice, not just careful attention, 
the most careful attention. Avoiding the danger of drifting from Christ and the gospel is something that requires the greatest care, the highest priority that we can give it, the highest priority that we give anything in all of our lives. And I'm sure there are more, but there are at least two things that I want to highlight today that can put us at risk of drifting away. Theologian Thomas Long notes that for the first readers of Hebrews, drifting away was a concern and a temptation because they were tired. They were tired. Here's what he writes. They were tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of being peculiar and whispered about in society. They were tired of the spiritual struggle. They were tired of trying to keep their prayer life going. He goes on and says, the threat is not that they were charging off in the wrong direction because they don't have any energy to charge off anywhere. Instead, tired of walking the walk, many of them are considering taking a walk, leaving the community, and falling away from faith. I noted last week that these Jewish believers in Jesus, who Hebrews is written to, were constantly being appealed to by their friends and their family to turn away from Jesus, to turn back to the law, to turn back to the traditions of Judaism. And no doubt they were tired of this conflict, tired of this constant strain on their relationships. Tiredness can absolutely set us up for drifting away from Christ in the truth of the gospel. Frustration with modest spiritual growth, feeling like it's always one step forward and two steps back can set us up for drifting. Weariness with relational struggles with other believers can set us up for drifting. If that's how I'm going to be treated by my fellow Christians, what's the point? Tiredness, weariness, frustration, can set us up for drifting. And so when we find ourselves tired, we need to be especially distrustful of our thoughts and our feelings during those times. We need to be distrustful of our decision-making during those times. And we need to be careful during those times that even though we feel exhausted, that those are the times more than even any other that we need to give the most careful attention that we don't drift away. Tiredness sets us up for drifting. And here's the second thing that sets us up for drifting. The culture that we live in sets us up for drifting away from Christ and the gospel. If we're not constantly on guard, constantly paying careful attention, the culture has a way of just enticing us away from Jesus. Little by little, subtly enticing us away from Jesus. Through John Moriarty, who was the pastor that sent us to Pataskala to plant this church, I was privileged to meet a church planner from India by the name of A. Stephen, uh, who had planted hundreds of churches uh, in India. A. Stephen had been disowned by his parents for his faith in Christ. He had been physically attacked for his faith in areas where he had gone in India to plant churches where they were not uh, receptive and were actually hostile uh, to his efforts. The point is that living for Christ had been a real struggle for A. Stephen. 
And yet when A. Stephen was visiting us at Eastside Vineyard in Pickerington, he shared his view that living for Christ was much more difficult in the United States than anything he had faced in India. And he said that the reasons he believed that that, that was true was because of, number one, our material comforts here, and number two, how sexualized our culture is. And he believed that these things presented a significant challenge to Christians in the U.S. and that they represent a constant temptation that Christians in our nation face to drift away from faith. I'm not going to take the time to go into this in depth today, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure I understand all the dynamics enough to go into much depth, but I believe that we're living in an unusually dangerous time for believers in the United States, and I don't mean physical danger, but we're living in a time where powerful forces have aligned and are exerting tremendous pressure and temptation on believers to drift away from faith, to give up on faith, to walk away from faith. Now, the enemy's always been at work, and so what I just said is always true in every time and in every place and every culture, but I do believe that we're facing a uniquely challenging time. And I think it's evidenced by the large numbers of people that don't have any religious affiliation and by the large numbers of Christians who are walking away from faith. If you're reading about this, it is happening at alarming rates, deconstructing their faith is what it's often called. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that this can happen not because we set out to be unfaithful to God, not because we started deliberately pursuing things that led us away from Christ, but it can happen because we get lazy. It can happen because we become inattentive. It can happen because we just don't pay careful enough attention. He lets us know we cannot afford to be inattentive. He writes that the danger of drifting away requires us to pay the most careful attention. Drifting has to be actively resisted. We cannot take Christ and his gospel for granted. We've got to keep a firm grip on the truth. We, we have to stay engaged. We've got to always be actively exerting the effort to draw closer to Christ. One threat to the author's appeal for us to pay the most careful attention that I want to highlight today is familiarity. Perhaps no group in a Christian church is more at risk of drifting than those who have grown up in a Christian family. Those who have been around the church their entire lives. That level of familiarity can set people up to take things for granted, even salvation. Here's a common way this, this happens. While people who have grown up in the church usually affirm the need to personally trust in Christ for salvation, sometimes people who have grown up, grown up in the church seem to come to believe that they have always 
been Christians. You ask someone, when did you become a Christian? And the answer is, I've always been a Christian. Or my family has always been Christian. That answer deserves some exploration. It really does. It might just be an imprecise answer that means I've been a churchgoer my entire life. But that answer can be cause for concern. Here's why no one has always been a Christian. You're not born a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. Being a Christian isn't based on family history. It's not based on grandma's faith or grandpa's faith or mom's faith or dad's faith. Each person must receive Christ as Savior and Lord for themselves. Each person must be brought to life spiritually through faith in Jesus. Before we come to faith in Jesus, we're dead spiritually. We have to be brought to life through personal faith in Jesus. And so sometimes this is evidenced by people uh, taking salvation for granted. Sometimes people who've been Christians for a long time convince themselves that some of the things they once did are not vital to their faith anymore. So they'll think things like this. I've read the Bible so much, I just don't think I have to read it that much anymore. I mean, I, I pretty much know what's there. I've served for years and years. My days of serving are over. I've been to so many small groups and heard so many sermons. I don't really think I have to be as faithful to participating in the Christian community as I once did. Keep in mind that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jesus-believing people. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Jesus-believing people. And he is warning them about drifting away. He's appealing to them that they have to pay the most careful attention so that they don't drift away. Here's what this means. Like with the canoe or like in the ocean, drifting just happens. You can't stop it. Without the careful attention, you're going to drift. It's just the natural thing that occurs. And so the only way not to drift is to be careful and to exert the energy to resist it. And then we're incentivized by the writer of Hebrews in verse 2. He gives us a very serious warning. He writes, for if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Failure to give careful attention to the truth of the gospel, allowing ourselves to drift from the truth of the gospel, ignoring and neglecting Christ's salvation, the writer tells us, is a serious thing with serious consequences. The author makes the point that if the message spoken by angels, and we learned last week that that's a reference to the law, if that was binding, 
and every violation and disobedience received punishment, how can anyone escape punishment who has received the greater message of Christ and his salvation and then drifts away from that? Again, I, I mean, I don't want to be overly repetitive, but remember he's writing to believers who are being tempted to turn away from Christ, return to the law, return to the traditions of Judaism. And he's warning them, believers, that ignoring Christ's salvation, many translations say neglecting Christ's salvation, it's a serious thing with serious consequences. What's it mean to neglect something? It means not to give it any care, not to give it any attention. I have a basement full of stuff I've neglected. I have a garage full of stuff I've neglected. You probably do as well. And the writer asks how people that do this, how people who have known Christ and then neglect Christ, how can they escape punishment? And he presents it as a rhetorical question. The answer is clear. They can't. They can't. Now, this is a sobering verse. And just if it matters to you, I love the idea of coming to church and just preaching lots of like happy stuff, clappy stuff. But I'm constantly amazed at how challenging the Bible is. And so I, I preach what we find in the Bible. Lots of challenging stuff in it. So this is a sobering verse that should really disavow us of the notion that we can pray a prayer at one time in our lives and then live our lives unconcerned about Christ and the truth of the gospel and all will be a-okay with us and God. N.T. Wright theologian writes this, modern Western Christians have often seen the law as a threatening thing and the gospel of Jesus Christ as a soothing, comforting, healing thing. There is much truth to that. But if we forget the other side of it, and he's referring to this warning, if we forget the other side of it, we make the gospel a mere cozy blanket instead of the bracing, challenging, life-changing thing that it really is. Wright also writes about those who walk away from Christ to return to the law, those who would exchange the greater thing, Jesus, for the lesser thing, the law. He writes, God may have to conclude that they aren't really interested in being rescued in being saved from the sin and injustice that rages around them like an angry sea. Friends, if we ignore and neglect Christ and the salvation that's available only in Him, there are serious consequences. How can we escape? Certainly seems to suggest that judgment cannot be escaped when Christ is neglected. And maybe you say, Brian, that's too strong, that's too much. Like, like no, that's too hard. Theologian William Fudge, what a horrible name. 
writes. Okay, let's move on to what he wrote. He writes this. The grandeur of the salvation that Christ offers magnifies the evil inherent in its neglect. It's a big deal to neglect Christ and his salvation. It's even a bigger deal to have tasted of it, experienced it, and then neglect it. That's what he's talking about here. You all have tasted this. You've experienced it. How can you possibly be considering returning to the law? This greater thing than the law is so wonderful that it magnifies the evil when we neglect it. It's a serious and sobering passage that strongly suggests, and I know this is debated by Christians, okay? So if you have a different point of view, that, that, that's fine. We can, we can coexist. But this strongly suggests that starting a walk of faith is not all that's required. But that true faith is faith that continues through life. True faith is giving the most careful attention to Christ and his salvation so that nothing pulls you away from it. Nothing causes you to drift from it. When we ignore and neglect Christ and his salvation, it's a very serious thing with serious consequences because the message and the salvation we neglect is from God. It is wonderful. It's from God, and it's the most wonderful message ever delivered. And so why would anyone who has tasted it ignore or neglect Christ? Why, after coming to know him, would we ignore or neglect him? It should not happen. And the author is appealing to us, and or appealing to them, and by extension us, do not do this. Do not allow this to happen. Do not let yourself drift away. And, and he explains why they shouldn't do it. He, he, in verses 3 and 4, they shouldn't do it because the message they have received is from God. It is a wonderful message, and it's true. Why would you turn away from this? When it's from God, it's wonderful, and it's true. Of course, from God and true really are the same thing. But it's from God, it's wonderful, and it's true. Why would you neglect this message? And the author gives three proofs that we can know that the gospel message is true. In verse 3, we know it's true because this salvation was first announced by the Lord. Jesus himself declared it. What we're seeing in these first couple of chapters of Hebrews is that in the Old Testament, God sent messages through angels and through prophets. We, we heard last week from uh, one of the writers that I referenced, one of the theologians I referenced, it was like God was sending sketches of himself 
in the Old Testament. But now in Jesus, he's no longer speaking through angels and prophets, but God came himself to proclaim the good news of salvation. The message of the gospel, the the good news of salvation was announced by the Lord, was personally delivered by Jesus. The king came to earth with good news for all of us. Now think in the natural in the natural realm for a minute. If you received a personal visit from a king, I like knocked on your door, I want to talk to you. Would you like would you respond? I would. Doesn't even have to be a king. I mean, some of us have gotten so toxic in our politics that what I'm about to say wouldn't be true, but I can honestly say that any president ever that would show up at my door or call my house and say, Brian, I'd like to talk with you, I would be like, that sounds good. I will do that. I will consider it an honor to meet with you. That's in the earthly realm. What has happened when Jesus came to earth is that God himself came. said, I'm going to be with you. I'm not just going to send messages about myself. I'm coming. I'm coming to you in person. How do you reject that? How do you say no to that? And, And so the gospel was true because it was first announced by the Lord. And then after being announced by the Lord, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the message of the gospel was then confirmed by those who heard the Lord. Okay, so, so we don't experience Jesus coming to earth like those who were there then did, but they have borne witness to it. They have confirmed it. Eyewitnesses told the story. They bore witness to the message that Christ had personally brought to mankind that they had personally seen and witnessed with their own eyes. And then after those two things announced by the Lord, confirmed by those who heard him, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and then after the Lord announced the message and the eyewitnesses confirmed it, God testified to it, how? By signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are distributed according to His will. And I don't think we'd be off base by saying, by the gift of the Holy Spirit Himself that is given to each and every believer. There is a danger of drifting away. We have to pay more careful attention to Christ and the gospel, the most careful attention. Neglecting Christ's salvation is a serious thing with serious consequences. And there's no good reason to become careless and neglect the truth of the gospel. Because it came from the Lord, because it's been confirmed by eyewitnesses, and because it's been testified to by God through various ways, including the impartation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each and every believer. When people believe the message of the gospel, the Bible does tell us 
that they are indwelled by the Spirit of God. And this indwelling does things for those of us who have received it. It enables us to live life in ways that we previously could not live life. We do things that we didn't used to do, and we don't do other things that we used to do. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit causes our minds to be renewed and to be filled with the things of God. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit motivates us and empowers us to be different people. Not just people who are white-knuckling it, trying to be different, but people who are different from the inside out. Consider the danger of drifting. Hear the warning of the seriousness of neglecting such a great salvation. Realize how misguided it is to neglect what is true, what is from God, what is wonderful. And considering all of that, I appeal to us today. The writer of Hebrews appeals to us today to begin again, to commit again, to pay the most careful attention to the gospel, to actively resist drifting from it, to exert the needed effort to keep a hold of the truth and to keep a hold of Christ. The evidence that we are doing this, at least some evidence that we're doing this, is that our minds are filled with the things of God and supernatural empowering results in us living different than the world around us. And so here's an important question for all of us to consider today. Is there evidence in my life that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is true and powerful. Is there evidence in my life of this? And for many of us, the answer to that is probably yes. And to that we say amen. Glory to God. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that enables this to be true. But for some of us, the answer would probably be no. I'm not living in that reality. I'm not I'm not seeing that. And if we're not seeing that, it, it might be an indication of drift. And so what we need to do today, if, if we can't say yes to that question, is we need to commit to paying the most careful attention. We need to commit again to exerting the effort, even if we're tired, even if we're frustrated, to exert the effort necessary to press closer to Jesus. Hebrews tells us it takes constant effort to not drift away. So let's be people who give that effort. Can you say amen? Let's stand.